Hey everybody, this little bottle contains an absolute miracle. It'll help you start your day off feeling great and with a ton of energy, even if you've had a couple of drinks the night before. Dbiotics.com forward slash reach, you'll get 15% off. And hello, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of Narrative Live. They're always special, but tonight is actually a very big special edition. It's one year since the three of us were gathered on this very screen to discuss what was then the beginning of this new war into Ukraine by the Russians. The Russian tanks started rolling in on this night one year ago. Now, a lot has changed in a year. And of course, Michael's going to remind us that it's not just been a year. It's been nine years since the war against Ukraine started by the Russians. And in fact, that's true. But in 365 days, a lot has changed. One would say that it looks much better now for Ukraine than it did then. It looks much better for the West than it did then. However, there are looming clouds on the horizon. And we'll discuss tonight the breaking news about China and its intentions of sending killer drones and parts for fighter jets to Russia to help them in the war in Ukraine. Good evening to Michael McKay. It's been a while since we've had you on the air. How are you, Michael? Hello. And Eric Garland is back with us tonight. How are you, Eric? Good evening. It's, it's a lot of anniversaries. The week started and I was thinking back to nine years ago and it was the pinnacle of the, the events on Maidan, which we now call the Revolution of Dignity and right. the massacre there. And this looked like a very dark moment. This was the worst violence we had seen, the worst number of killings, and yet Look at this turnaround. The Yanukovych fled Kiev and, and the revolution triumphed. But then, whoa, what's happening in Crimea here? So a matter of days later, and this goes on. And then we go back to a year ago, and I'm thinking about, wow, this large offensive that has been expected for a long time, we've seen it preparing for close to a year and saying, hey, there's an offensive coming, there's an offensive coming, and it, it comes, and it looks very dark because there are large-scale advances in a very short period of time by the Russians invading from the north, from Belarus, from the east. But then it stopped. Not surprisingly to me and others, but certainly surprising a lot of people. And so it was, a, it was also a time of surprises. So many people waking up and saying, wow, this is what's been going on all along, and this is, what, this is the intent, this is the scale of it. And it could get a lot worse. And so it's a lot of people waking up. So it's a time of reflection going back certainly to a year ago, but putting in that context of this escalating war in Europe that has led us to where we are today to talk about the global aspects of the war, who is supporting Russia and what that means in a wider context. That is the big topic that we're now discovering out of a German publication, De Spiegel, publishing new details tonight about what they say are plans by the Chinese to provide killer drones to the Russians for use in Ukraine. Eric, your thoughts a year later. It's a very long two-day war for Vladimir Putin. It has been an utter strategic catastrophe for the Russian Federation and its, its allies, which I would include Bibi Netanyahu and or Xi Jinping. This whole situation has turned out in the worst way possible. It is united NATO more than it has ever been united since the 1940s and 50s when it began. The image of Joe Biden in Kiev a couple days ago, which was a surprise to us, right? And he took the train in. Russia is supposed to be, they refer to us as the main adversary, but they are not 
our peer. We could walk one year into their invasion. Our president can stroll in the center of Kiev under a blue sky without worry that he's going to catch a nuke in the face. If there's any country that Russia could influence in a number of malign ways, it would be Ukraine, a country that used to be part of the Soviet Union, where they share a lot, a different language, mind you, and different people, a very different character. But they had a lot, they had a lot of pull there and a lot of money there and a lot of their organized crime there. And one year into this, President Joe Biden can go and embrace and literally hug and support a wartime president in that country that is against Russia against the or the transnational organized crime organizations out there. And they have the full support of the United States. They have the full support of NATO. They have an increasing serious arsenal and they will be the stabilizing regional power of Eastern Europe going forward. And that has been a huge year. There was a moment, was it, to Michael, to see Joe Biden and Zelensky walking through Kyiv? A remarkable moment a stunning move on the information warfare front against Russia that this happened because that's incredibly important to them. I think even more significant, we, we talk about the failures of the Russian military and so on. But when you think about it, their information warfare has been top drawer. Mm -hmm. It's been amazingly mm -hmm. effective. And we've seen its effectiveness amongst our own elites, for example. This is where they excel. And to see the United States pull off a master move like this is essential. And you know what I was thinking? I was seeing images like this, and I thought the way Ukrainians think, what have we never seen? We've never seen a picture of Putin in Luhansk or Donetsk. been <laughs> completely controlled by the Russian Federation for, let's say, eight years. No doubt about it. So- yeah. That was a so remarkable saying, point that you made. The Russian dictator is afraid to go to a territory, which, by the way, he claims is a part of Russia, right? <laughs> no claim on Ukraine, but Putin claims that those regions, Luhansk and Donetsk, are actually a part of Russia. But he can't even make good on his claim by showing up there, even for a little, little photo op. And that's what I thought of when I saw these pictures walking oh, around yeah. in the streets of downtown Kiev. Check out the tie. Check out the tie on Joe here. <laughs> yeah. I <Good> mean, <laughs> well spotted. He's well, he's well put together. There's a good look that he's they put together. This is clearly not something done by accident. They thought about the very thing you're suggesting, the information war and how important these images were going to be as they were transmitted into Russia and into Putin's brain. This is the kind of stuff that would sit in his brain and occupy his mind for a long time. Because you point and, out the information war is so important to them. And the information war exactly. against Ukraine and, is so important. The timing, of course, was timed with his visit to Warsaw and so on. But for Ukrainians, what really significant, this was the 20th of February. It was the start of the Maidan massacre. And the two of them oh, went to the memorial yeah. close to Maidan, where they have the photographs of the a little bit over 100 people who were killed in the space of a few days. That is the wall, the memorial wall. And so they took a moment to go there. This resonates so powerfully with the Ukrainian people. Russians see the American president there, that just there, that's significant. Americans see their president and saying, wow, this is positive action. And this moment here really resonates with Ukrainians. This is an ally. I was just thinking how much has changed because who was guiding Yanukovych at the time of this massacre? Paul Manafort. Good point. Was, and so 
we ha- we suffered under four years of the presidency that Paul Manafort foisted on the United States. And before that, he foisted mass murder on the people of Ukraine. And a lot of us feared that we would not have a future after Donald Trump or not one we we're going to be particularly happy about. But it's only been two years into the Biden presidency. And not only like you, he's there, our president is there paying homage to the same people who made us suffer. Biden had been there in the couple of months before then because he was part of the various negotiations to try to say, hey, Yanukovych, back down here. Was that 2014 when he did that? The Maidan revolution started the very end of November 2013. So it was like the December and then the January, February of 2014. Yeah. And he, he made a couple of visits as vice president. Let's thread this needle a little bit more because that's attack on on democracy that happened in Ukraine, that revolution, really set off what is now been nine years of war of democracy around the world. We're seeing the same war of democracy being fought in the United States on a daily basis, whether you care to admit it or not. It has certainly arrived in the United States and certainly on an information basis, on a cyber basis. We've been fighting that war for a long time. It's not a military war, of course, but it does have all the hallmarks of what happened to Ukraine. We're seeing the same thing happen in the UK where they had to experience Brexit. We've had the same thing happen in Brazil, in Israel tonight. There are even more demonstrations against their new government by of Bibi Netanyahu again, which is flouting democracy and, and, and introducing new di- dictatorial rule in Israel. So you've got, this is a global battle, as Joe Biden likes to remind us, between, between the forces of democracy and dictatorship. It's a hugely symbolic thing that Joe Biden was able to be there on the streets of Kyiv with Zelensky. But the counter to that is what we're expecting to see, which is Xi and Putin, two massive superpowers in a meeting in the Kremlin in the next few days. Maybe it could take a little longer, but certainly in the Kremlin. And that follows a meeting between the foreign, the head of the diplomatic services there in China and the leaders in the Kremlin just yeah, two couple of days ago. So what we're seeing is this counterpoint between, yes, you've got Zelensky and Biden on the one hand, full of the forces of democracy, if you will, but on the other hand, you've got this alignment now of these forces of dictators, and these are the forces of Xi and Putin. We've coming out of the, I don't want to say the closet, it's not the right expression, but we're coming out. The forces that are aligning themselves quite clearly in the world in what is turning out to be a major world confrontation between these two ideologies. The masks are off right now, and with a lot of consequences. America has, an, has had a great number of strategic economic relationships with China. That's something we chose 30 plus years ago to engage with them rather than compete with them. We thought we were engaging and they never stopped their actual strategy. Masks off now. We understand that China is a, an adversary, if not an enemy. Russia's ne- Russia, we learned to tolerate and deal with their, their, their oligarchs coming into town and buying houses in Florida and stuff like that. But now they're just the global villains that they've been for a hundred years or so. Israel's story is a lot, is a lot more difficult, but it's no less clear that Netanyahu and his supporters have picked a side here. And it is not that of the United States or Australia or the UK or democracy. They've turned in another direction. And this conflict in Ukraine, as it's gone on, has revealed all of that. For the moment, at least, we're at the signaling stage. And that's what this is. It's a visit and so on. And... I'm looking at a precedent for this, which I don't think people have paid enough attention to, which is going to get to the weapons delivery. And that's what Iran has done. Mm-hmm. And that is 
Russia ran out of weapon. They ran out of drones. That's the immediate thing. They just fired off all their drones and the Ukrainians started to get good at shooting them down. And they're getting up to, when it comes to drones, they're getting up to an 80, 90% to shoot down range. When it gets to cruise missiles, they're at a 60, 70%. So this is remarkable. So they went to Iran for drones, for these Shahed drones, and they got a few hundred of them in addition to the ones that they had at the beginning. But that's it. They're gone now. And now there's negotiations, there's talk, oh, maybe there'll be ballistic missiles because Ukraine for the moment doesn't have the means to shoot down those. But it's still just talk. In the meantime, the Iranian regime is really coming down hard when Ukraine points out, like they'll show pictures here. It's a Shahed drone. And it, we're very interested in the Western components that we define. Oh, there's so much for sanctions. But the Iranians are like, oh, how dare you? We're not supplying drones. And mm-hmm. it's like, minute, come on, it's, why not admit it kind of thing and so on. So I think to preempt what China is doing, we need to call out stuff like that more and say, and I think the United States is starting to do this as well, to show that sanctions can be extended to those that are going to break sanctions or work around them because we can sanction entities and so on, but then you can just put the company in the name of your wife and then keep on doing business, the way organized crime works kind of thing. So it's no good if you can't extend them to the way that people work around them. And I think the United States is good at that. I don't think the EU is very good at it. They're playing catch up, but the United States is quite good at that. I think we do need to do that with regimes like Iran. We need to consider more that Belarus, although it's a very minor player, is it's on that side as well. And we can't, we can't ignore that as well. And so China, we I mean, end of the day, China is going to become increasingly a target of the West. Clearly at the Munich conference the other day, there was a lot of concern around China secretly or otherwise exporting weapons to Russia. And I think most of the foreign secretaries and leaders in, in, who are present warned China not to do this. And then now in the subsequent days that have followed, we're seeing these new revelations, probably from American intelligence, revealing some of the potential moves that China's already undertaken. everybody, it's Zev from Narrative. This is the most romantic week of the year. And you know what that means? Dinners, dates, drinks, and more. And sometimes those celebrations can leave you feeling a little worse for wear the next morning, if you know what I mean. Well, I have discovered an absolutely brilliant solution for that. It's called Z-Biotics. It's a pre-alcohol probiotic, and it's a miracle formula that allows you to have a few drinks at night without getting those awful post-drinking blues the next day. No need to worry about safety. It's all natural and FDA compliant. You can get Z-Biotics for 15% off your first order with my code REACH, R-E-A-C-H. I recommend getting the six pack. That's what I got and it's a great deal. And you'll have a couple of extra to share with your friends. Click the link in the description box or scan the QR code on the screen right now and use code REACH, R-E-A-C-H at checkout. Go to zbiotics.com forward slash REACH and get 15% off plus 100% money-back guarantee if you're not satisfied. Make this date night one even Cupid would be proud of. Get some Z-Biotics today so you can still feel the love tomorrow. I like that. I chose to call this episode Allies of Darkness. Those are not my words. Those are words of Joe Biden from his speech in Warsaw. 
when he said, he said, let us not be allies of darkness, let us be allies of the light. And I think this is where he was suggesting, however likely he was doing it, that there is an alliance of people who are forming behind these dark motives, behind these dictatorship motives. And it's worth, it's worth remembering that those were his words and also how, how difficult that term is and how, you know, how much it represents. Let's take a look at what this article in De Spiegel says in great details. China reportedly negotiating to, with Russia to supply kamikaze drones. The U.S. and Germany have warned China not to deliver weapons to Russia, according to information obtained by Der Spiegel. However, Beijing and Moscow are said to be negotiating the purchase of 100 strike drones, which could be delivered as soon as April. April, that's right around the corner. According to the information, the Russian military is engaged in negotiations with Chinese drone manufacturer Jiang Bingo, intelligent aviation technology over the mass production of kamikaze drones for Russia. The revelations create a new urgency in the debate over possible Chinese military support for Russia. So they reportedly agreed to manufacture 100 ZT-180 prototype drones before delivering them to Russian Defense Ministry by April 2023. Military experts believe the ZT-180 is capable of carrying a 35 to 50 kilogram warhead. Sources believe that the design of the unmanned aerial vehicle could be similar to that of Iran's Shahid-136 kamikaze drones. The Russian army has deployed hundreds of them in its attack on Ukraine. And they're also planning to deliver to Russia components and know-how so Russia could build or produce around 100 drones a month on its own. That's chilling stuff when you think about the amount of damage caused by those Iranian drones. This is so important because China has moved from a somewhat covert economic war of buying up farmland in all these different countries and sneaking in spyware and Huawei gear and rural telecom companies to they are now a military supplier that is executing kinetic military strikes on European soil. So the Belt and Road has become a frontal assault. Well, through companies, war. through corporations, through shell companies, it's not going to be a direct line. But yeah, sure, this is potentially their weapons. It will be their weapons produced in China that will be striking a European ground. There's no doubt about that. That just goes through. That's what it's going to be. I don't remember the last time in history we've had that happen. Guys? They've been dumping enough fentanyl into the United States to kill many states worth, if not all of us. So we were talking about the masks coming off here. Look, this has been going on for a while. And now we're getting to things that people recognize more as not broad spectrum warfare, things blowing up and, yeah. you know, sharing military. Look, you're, look, your military allies, if you are with this sanctioned country, like you're not allowed to trade Russian sovereign debt. Most of their tech companies are sanctioned. You can't do business with their banks. Or as Michael says, yeah, we'll extend that to you. That's exactly why U.S. Treasury sanctions are successful is like they're sanctioned. And if you work with them to help them get around it, you're sanctioned. Enjoy. China has defied us with that. And not just with some cash here, but with military equipment, lots of which is probably stolen from us. So the these are yeah. rogue nations. What are they doing? First of all, they're choosing a side that is not going to win. And history respects winners. And how, however long it takes, we know that Russia will not succeed in the conquest of Ukraine. So they're backing the losing side, but they're also losing the side because what are these weapons going to be used for to achieve Russian victory? Actually, the Russians don't even use that for that. 
they use these Shahed drones, and they're going to use these ones to attack civilian infrastructure, specifically the energy infrastructure. So this is civilian targets, and it's a war crime. So they're basically announcing that we're going to join the aggressor in committing wartime, war crimes at a time when we're at the point of the war, we're saying Russia's going to lose this war. So how is it in China's interest to do that? And the answer is it's not. So they must be working with different assumptions about this. And I think they're wrong. This is just, of course, they're not, they don't care about Ukraine and they don't care about democracy and this kind of thing, but they're just making the wrong decision for their own power, for their own influence. And for, they won't even to keep what they have, let alone get the other things that they want to get making this fateful decision. Imagine another course of action where they said, yeah, we're going to be a leading nation and we're going to join the unified sanctions and this kind of thing. And hey, we're an economic powerhouse and we're going to be part of rebuilding Ukraine. In another universe, they could do that, couldn't they? You ask so, a good question. You ask a good question. Because if they are trying to do something much more significant than just win the war in Ukraine, is this them opening up a front in this war against democracy, which hasn't got kinetic yet, has the potential to become kinetic and may yeah, indeed become maybe kinetic. maybe that's it. Fundamentally, they cannot possibly side with a democracy, Ukraine, against an autocracy like them, Russia, and they got to make a choice and they're making their choice. Yeah. And that sets up potentially a global conflict, which no one really wants to think about. You have to imagine that that's in the planning stages at the Pentagon and various other places that you can't not be planning for a global conflict based on these moves that we're now seeing. Michael brings up a really great point, though. And I, you know, there are people who use the term crazy or madman when they're describing a rogue nation. And usually it's not correct. The Iranian regime is very brutal to its people, and it's very hostile to its neighbors. But they're a rational actor if you look at this in terms of like realism, realpolitik. North Korea, North Korea has a cult-like atmosphere that is brutal to its people and hostile to its neighbors, but it has certain limits to its behaviors. So people go, oh, they're nuts, they're madmen. And it's I, from a like geopolitical standpoint, it's not true. They're rational actors. What we're talking about here, and what Michael's opening up here is, I'm very confronted by that question. Is this one of the first like really like irrational uh, geopolitical moves that we've seen of a country of this size? Because yeah, what I mean, Russia's Russia's been militarily destroyed, humiliated. What they're borrowing from Iran that's been that has been sanctioned for 30, 40 years. The, you know, the, this was a power that 50 years ago we were afraid was going to take over Europe if we weren't there. And now they like they can't even tug boat the Admiral Kuznetsov, their sole remaining of carrier. They can't even drag it around a harbor with a tugboat. It will fall over and go straight to the bottom. So, for example, from a geopolitical point of view, it makes no sense for Russia to have invaded Ukraine and then to launch the large invasion. And so it just makes no sense at all. And then you can say, oh, then militarily, they're doing crazy things. Like, why use your military to attack civilians when you're not attacking the Ukrainian army that's right in front of you on the front line, right? You could be bombing their defenses and so on. But, oh, no, you're sending it to some city and you're hitting a hospital or an apartment building. What are you doing kind of thing? And you said. You're right. It doesn't make any sense strategically, militarily, geopolitically. But then you say, wait a minute, there's, there's the issue of the genocide. 
there's the issue of this hatred of the Ukrainian people and the need to destroy them as a distinct people. And then, and this is what Ukrainians have been saying all along. See, this is just genocide that has been surging and falling back and surging back for a very long time. And it's reasserting us now. And when we say, oh, we've outgrown that and so on, the answer is no, we have to, in that part of the world with those people, it haven't outgrown it at all. So the madness is in doing this crazy thing that make no sense, but they fit the ideology. To me, it's no different than you would say, why in the world did Hitler invade the Soviet Union? What a stupid move in every way. But it makes sense if you realize he thought that Slavs were subhuman and that he was his destiny to achieve Lebensraum in the East kind of thing. And you say, yeah, that wasn't going to happen. And that's crazy. And it doesn't matter. It made sense in that context. So if you mm -hmm. read mm -hmm. Putin's manifesto, his mind camp on the historical unity of the Ukrainian and Russian, Russian and Ukrainian people, it makes sense. It's saying if they're not a people, then Ukrainians who think they're a nation, they're actually just insane Russians. So let's go make them think otherwise or kill them if they won't. That's not the, the language of geopolitics, is it? But it's the language of this war. Or you could argue this is a war against the United States, that China is trying to subvert the number one superpower and become the number one superpower. And it's doing so by providing these proxy wars on various fronts, whether it's Ukraine and potentially Taiwan. It's weakening the United States economically through various measures, not to mention the presidency of Donald Trump, COVID, you name it, a whole bunch of other things that you could pile onto the plate there. And you could say this is a long-term strategy to weaken the United States, that for them, keeping the United States engaged in a war in Europe and maybe in Asia is ideal because it leaves the American home front exposed or more exposed. And then it allows for a continued economic expansion by the Chinese into other parts of the world, whether it's Latin America or Africa in other parts of the world. So America becomes increasingly weakened by all of this activity. And over time, the end goal is not about Ukraine at all. The end goal is about weakening or destroying America, but certainly seeing China emerge as the number one power in the world. They're aligning with the Russian special operations, which have been to pour gasoline on the flames. Oh, there's this conspiratorial uh, atmosphere in the United States. Let's pour gasoline on that. Mm. And uh, MAGA, and you mentioned uh, and other things, or Brexit. Mm. That there's always been that movement in Britain, but hey, let's throw gasoline on that. Let's do some illegal financing of vote leave and things like that and just goose mm. it. So Russia doesn't start these things. They all have a native basis, which is really important to know. Not so clever and genius that they can just cause a revolution or something but they certainly can pull on certain strings and exacerbate certain trends. They could make people who are nobodies like Donald Trump look like they're somebody. They can yeah. just say, hey, let's just generate buzz. And suddenly what people are taking this seriously. In fact, they're just doing a, an echo chamber of their own propaganda, but the effect is to make it look otherwise. China is aligning with that sensibility. So maybe they're just tapping into what the Russians have always been good at, which is special operations and information warfare. Yeah, I mean, you haven't seen a Chinese involvement in a war in a long time, but it doesn't mean they're not capable. Eric? I was just thinking, taking this from an ideological point of view that can be irrational, it has logic, but some of that logic is suicidal. That Hitler got involved with the Wehrmacht to the point where he said, you may never retreat. Now, there's tactical reasons if you find yourself on the, on the other side of a river with infantry and you got water to your back, you need to get back over that river 
because if you get pinned down when someone's coming at you, you're going to get massacred. And Hitler would not allow that. Now, that made sense to him personally, but is terrible for his commanders. So when you get that kind of cult of personality and that kind of ideo ideology takes the place of strategic thought, you can get some pretty weird looking stuff like trying to invade Russia in winter, which never works out, right, historically, but people have done it a couple of times. That's exactly what Putin ordered the Russians to do at Liman. You remember that was like half a year ago. Yeah. Don't give up an inch of ground. And they actually sent some better quality troops there. And it was idiotic. This, it was a forward position and it actually wasn't strategically important. They should have just withdrawn 20 kilometers back and it would have been done much better. It made no sense militarily, but it fed the ideology. We're Russians. We're greater than Ukrainians. How could we possibly give up ground once we've taken it? And the optics at the end of the day, if you're looking at China joining Russia's very losing effort currently in Ukraine, are not good for China. As you point out, even if their goal is to destroy America, if this little portion of their plan isn't going to work out at all, why do it? And uh, that, that is hard to make sense of. I want to just point to another piece of this article by Der Spiegel, which says, this is other information that Der Spiegel got. The companies under the control of China's People's Liberation Army had planned to deliver replacement parts for Russia's Su-27 fighter jets and other models. Der Spiegel has learned in its reporting that plans had apparently already been made to falsify shipping documents to make the parts for military aircraft appear to be replacement parts for civilian aviation. And by the way, you'll appreciate this, Eric, that the shipments, I think, were coming through the UAE, or at least some of these shipments that have been illegally pushed through to Russia have been coming through the UAE. But we are talking about a pretty significant thing here that these planes, many of which have been shot down, I guess they still have a few left. But uh, the fact that China will be secretly providing, or is planning to secretly provide parts so these planes can fly over and shoot civilians, it again suggests to me that conversation about fighter jets is going to be reopened pretty quickly when you're seeing that China potentially kill civilians from, from the air, as we've seen before in, in Ukraine. This is a serious development, isn't it, Michael? Yes, it is. And I think, of course, we should be sending fighter jets to Ukraine. We should be sending them right now. But there's a sense in which I'm also a little bit reassured by this. So, for example, what we're not seeing. So China's talking about sending spare parts. But they're not talking about sending, for example, fighter jets. Russia has lost a lot of aircraft, over 200 since the war began, and they're not able to replace them. There's no, Russia hasn't manufactured a modern fighter in years, and they're certainly not doing it now. It's expensive, it's time consuming, and it needs some key technology, which is no longer available to the Russians. So they're not making new aircraft. So what they're doing is they're making the aircraft that have not been shot down yet and are still airworthy, capable of flying again. And of course, spare parts helps with that. And then the other point is about the drones. What was that announcement about? The early batch of 100 drones. That sounds frightening. But given the high shoot down rate that Ukrainians have, which let's say is about 80%, that's actually... An, a, a modest estimate. They've, there've been some nights when they've shot down hundred percent of the drones sent. That means that you have to send it in a swarm. So those hundred drones, you would have to send all of them in one night or maybe over two nights and that's it. You're all gone. And maybe a dozen of them got through to their target and hit something, not accurately, but they hit something. It's actually not that significant. Ukraine has had, it has endured these kinds of attacks in greater numbers. And I read an announcement just a couple of days ago with someone from Kiev and they said, hey, 
for the first time, there were no power cuts and the power company didn't announce that there were going to be any. Hmm. And this was like, hey, I can't remember the last time there wasn't a power <laughs> okay. cut in Kiev. And that means that Ukrainians, with a lot of Western help, have rebuilt the infrastructure. They got the substations up and running and so on. It's still fragile and so on. And there's a lot of people without power. And that means with their own heat. So it's, it's still a crisis, but it's better than the night of the attacks kind of thing. So I look at the scale of what China is doing and I'm saying, that's still about signaling at this point. If it was serious, it would be thousands of drones. It would be actual fighter aircraft. Then that would be substantial. And to be so, clear, they've made no announcements about this. This is all leaks provided to their legal. This is exactly. not them saying. We're perfectly free to back away from it. Maybe yeah. it's a trial balloon. They start to see the reaction. Oh, you're going to get, if your technology ends up in this stuff, that means your firms are going to get sanctioned. That could hit home. And that's what tonight's show is about. And I think that's what the, the real intention of these leaks are, is to create enough awareness in the public and in diplomatic circles to pressure China to realize that this is not a winning proposition for them. If China, if Xi Jinping is going down this road for ideological reasons, because he just resonates more, he cannot support a free democracy. He doesn't want to be part of the rebuilding of a, a democratic member of NATO. And so he's just going to take He's just going to help his Russian allies continue their genocidal intentions towards the Ukrainian people. I have a message for Wall Street. Stop laundering China's money. Stop putting more over there. It, that's over. Those days are gone, guys. We might be nearing those stages where we are going to have sanctions against China that are that extreme. Let me just finish off this article so you guys get a full sense of what was reported here. In January, Dutch public broadcaster NOS reported that Dutch microchips had been delivered to the Russian defense industry via Chinese companies. According to the report and analysis by the Ukrainian forces of, of seized Russian offensive weapons like rockets, helicopters, and drones, or their remains, showed that microchips from the Netherlands had apparently been installed in 10 of the 27 Russian weapons inspected. And then for months, reports have been circulating among security officials in a handful of countries that Chinese companies have been providing satellite images of combat zones in Ukraine to the Russian side. In response, the US government recently placed the Chinese satellite company Changsha Tiani Space Science and Technology Institute, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, on its sanctions list. Washington claims the company's images have been obtained by the Wagner Group, the Russian private mercenary unit notorious for its brutality to enable combat operations in Ukraine. And the rest of this article is really about how there is mounting diplomatic circles on China to stop doing all this stuff, which of course they deny they're doing a lot. Of course, they'll deny it. They are not in a position yet to, to announce it. But you're right, this could be very much a trial balloon, very much a test of the waters to see how far the world will be able to countenance a potential China support of Russia. But it seems to me that this is going to be very unpopular. And there's no ways, especially at the year anniversary of this war, that the thinking in, in the world is going to be supportive of this particular initiative by, Ch by China. It just seems like a losing proposition. I'll just jump in here with a little prediction. I'm going to predict that China will back off of anything substantial in the same way that Iran backed off about ballistic missiles when enough light was shone on what they've been doing with the Shahed drones. So that's going to be my prediction about this. A bit of shuffling around and then just quietly ignoring this. Yeah, I think you might be right. And I think that's a real possibility. And certainly America is very influential and has ways of encouraging countries to do things that they want. Eric? 
Guys, I think we should schedule February 23rd, 2024. It's going to be a presidential election year here in the United States. And I'll bet that the world looks pretty different. In what way? I'm going to call you on that. I think there'll be more bright, sunny days in Kiev. Every minute of narratives reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative. Where truth lives. One day, you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative. Where truth lives.